Well, howdy, gentlemen. Really good to see you. Thanks for coming out. And if you're new, you're in the right place and you're with the best guys. Amen? That's why we're here. Welcome to Real Men. If you are new, let me just tell you a little bit about how this works. Uh, We do church on the weekend and then we get together as men. And uh, our whole hope, prayer and goal is to coach one another up. We always like to say we build men up, we don't beat men up. And our whole prayer and goal is to develop men, to help develop men by God's grace as leaders. And that's the whole point, end zone and goal. And so what we have seen in this past year is that everything rises or falls with leadership. Our country could use more leadership, our businesses could use more leadership, our churches could use more leadership, our families could use more leadership. And what we've seen, especially in the recent year, it's just crazy to think that even a year ago, our church was closed. And all that God has done since then is really, really, really incredible and supernatural. And uh, I just want you to know that there is an incredible opportunity for men who are willing to lead. In times of crisis, uncertainty, change and upheaval, if men will determine that they're gonna follow God and they're gonna lead, uh, God shows up in supernatural ways and does incredible things. And that's been our experience. Uh, This has been one of the greatest years of my entire life. I don't know about you. And I see that there's opportunity everywhere for the men of God and everything in our world is lacking leadership, which means there's a strategic opportunity for you in the spheres of influence that God has given you. So just by way of beginning, I want you just to think about the areas where you have authority, where you have leadership, where you have responsibility, where there are people that are depending on you or could be trusting in you. Uh, First of all, as men, we've got to lead ourselves. And this is the first thing that distinguishes a boy from a man. Uh, A boy needs to be led, a man needs to lead himself. A boy needs to be tended to and cared for and a man needs to look after himself. So first leadership is self. How many of you guys are married and you got a wife? You got a wife, okay. Who's the leader in your family? You are, you are. And the question is not, are you the leader? The question is, are you doing a good job or a bad job? Uh, You are the leader. And so you've got yourself, if you got your wife, uh, you've got a leader, uh, opportunity with her. How many of you got kids? Kids, a lot of dads in the house. Uh, Your kids are back on the bouncy houses, praise God. Um, And and then you've got your family to lead. How many of you, you've got a leadership position or a management position in a company or a business and there are decisions you make and things you're responsible for. How many of you, you've got a leadership position in our ministry or some ministry or some nonprofit or some community service or maybe even a coach for your kids team. How many of you guys got that? How many of you are grandpas and you got whole generations? You got a lot of people with your last name and and there's a lot of opportunity to lead in those different arenas. Well, all of that to say that God has given to each of us as men, a sphere of influence and leadership. And, uh, and what we wanna do is we wanna help you maximize the opportunities that God has afforded for you to be a blessing and to be a help in those areas of responsibility. So uh, what I do on the weekends, I do a long sermon. And then what we do on Wednesday, I mean, it's still actually a pretty long sermon, but it's a, it's a shorter sermon compared to the weekend. And all I'm gonna look at tonight is just two verses in Romans. So we look at the whole text on the weekend and then we just pull a segment out and talk about leadership for men. And that is this week, seven leadership lessons for men in Romans 10, 20 and 21. And so by virtue of context, chapters nine and 10 are about how God seeks us and how God saves us. And it's all about 
predestination, choosing, electing. We've unpacked all of that in great detail. And this is his final summary thesis, his last statement. It's kind of, he wraps it all up. So this is kind of the grand finale. And he says this, then Isaiah, he quotes the Old Testament book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verses one and two, written 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, is so bold as to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, uh, this group of people, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. So uh, I'll get into some leadership lessons here in just a second, but how many of you, that's your testimony. You weren't looking for God, God was looking for you. He just showed up. You didn't call, you didn't ask. He just showed up. How many of you, God called out to you and you weren't even asking him to respond to you? This is, this is the Christian story and testimony. And one of the reasons I've been hammering this so hard is I want all of our thinking and all of our testifying, telling the story of God's work in our life, I want it to be God-centered, not man-centered. When you tell the story, I don't want it to be, I was looking for God, I was wanting God, I was crying out to God and I found God. Then you're the hero of the story. If it's, no, I, I was a jackalope and I was drunk and hung over and Jesus showed up and we all know that's exactly what happened. Um, and he saved me and he, I, I didn't ask for it. He just did it. I wasn't looking for him. He was looking for me and uh, he was really good to me. And along the way, I've still created some drama and problems, but he's proven himself consistent and faithful. The same Jesus who showed up when I made a mess is still there when I make a mess and he's always there to help. That's a God-centered version of your story. And as men, we all need to learn how to share the testimony or the story of God's work in our life in such a way that it is a testimony, not a biography. Uh, A biography is where I'm the hero of the story. A testimony is where God's the hero of the story. And, And I want us to learn as men how to tell the story of God's work in our life. Here's what God said, here's what God did, here's how God provided, here's how God showed up so that it is a God centered story. That being said, in regards to leadership, I've got uh, seven things. So, uh, and all of this is at realfaith.com. We put the notes up if you're a note taker, don't worry about it. Number one, it's trusting in God's sovereignty and human responsibility. He just told us God's sovereignty is, God says, I was found by people who weren't looking for me and I spoke to people who weren't asking for me. So that's God's sovereignty. That's God in charge as loving father, pursuing people and doing things. And then he talks about human responsibility. He's God in Isaiah says, I have held out my hand all day long to a contrary and disobedient people. And what he's saying is uh, they're making choices that they are responsible for. As a, as a man, these are two things that if you rightly understood God's sovereignty over your life and your responsibility in your life, it really is an incredible gift. Because if you only believe in God's sovereignty over your life, but you don't believe in your responsibility and the importance of your life, your decisions, your service, your sacrifice, your life really does matter. And it really is used of God to change lives and legacies. If you only believe in God's sovereignty and not your responsibility, you can wonder whether or not your life is really just even purposeful or meaningful. If God's in charge and he's gonna work everything out, why do I even try, why do I even care? Because he works through you. He's not just sovereign over the ends, but the means. So he doesn't just accomplishes as well. He chooses to accomplish it through you and me. And we get to be a part of it, which is really exciting. In addition, if all you believe in is human responsibility and not divine sovereignty, you feel like you have to be in control of the universe. You have to feel like you need to be perfect. You need to feel like you're carrying the full weight of responsibility. 
Most of us as men, let's just be honest, that would be our default, okay? Here's the good news. You have responsibility and the good news is God is sovereign. And what that means is even when you do something wrong, he can, he can what? He can fix that. Even if you fail at something, he can, he can change that. So what I want us to have is this great expectation that God is gonna use us and the leadership decisions we make and the lives we live, they matter. But I don't want us to have an emotional catastrophe if we fail. Because you know what we're gonna do? We're gonna fail. When we make a bad decision as a leader, and we're gonna make bad decisions. When things don't work out the way that we were anticipating, God is still sovereign over it. Meaning even if things are not according to the way they should be, it doesn't mean that he can't correct them. How many of you have seen this in your life? You're like, I, 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 I made a choice. It was my decision. It, it didn't go well, but praise God, he got involved and he straightened it out and he fixed it. And if you're still married, that's what happened, okay? That's what happened. That's exactly what happened, amen? That's how this works. And so some of you guys, you're looking at your life and I know some of you men got saved more recently. You've already been married for a while. You've already been parents for a while. Some of you guys got saved later in life and you didn't really parent your kids as a believer. And now you're looking at it, you're saying, oh my gosh, I wish I would have known Jesus. I wish I would have done it differently. Well, the good news is do the best with the opportunity and responsibility you have and just trust that God is still involved and the same God who pursued you could pursue them. The same God who saved you could save them. The same God who was there for you could be there for them. And so emotionally, I want you to, to, to live wholehearted lives, but I don't want you to carry God-sized burdens. Number two, uh, responding to God, not just the people you are leading. And uh, he quotes Isaiah 65.1, where God says, all day long, I held out my hand to a contrary and disobedient people. And it's this analogy when, when God is looking at the earth, he's saying, I will forgive you, you need to repent. I will reconcile with you. You need to repent. I will help you. You need to repent. I, my hand is open. Like I talked about last weekend, that means that God's heart is open. When somebody's hand is open, that means their heart is open. When their hand is closed, guess what? Their heart is closed. There does come a day of judgment where the Lord Jesus Christ returns to the earth and his open hand becomes a clenched fist and there is judgment for everyone. There is a day of judgment. But until that day, every day is a day of invitation God is saying, you know, if you would turn to me, I would not reject you. And what is amazing is God keeps his hand open knowing that the people are quote, contrary and disobedient. How many of us, when we're leading, we, we, we open our hand. If we don't get the results we want, <laughs> we're like, okay, I'm done. You're all, you're all men, okay? This is just what happens. Right? And it is, it is God who says, I am not going to I'm not going to respond um, to you. I'm gonna work out of my character. And so what the apostle Paul is doing here as well, he is going out and he is preaching and teaching. And uh, he's saying, hey, come to Jesus, come to salvation, come to faith. And what do a lot of people do? They literally, they assault him, they arrest him, they harm him, they oppose him. But he is responding to God, he's not reacting to them. This is one of the most important, significant leadership lessons that God can teach any man. And that is when people are acting, don't be reacting to them, be responding to God, okay? Because how many of us, the decisions that we've made that we regret the most, they did something and we did something back and that was not the will of God. How many of you are counterpuncher by nature? 
Okay, but those guys' hands went up fast. They're ready to go. Um, this tends to be the default of a man. If you come at me, I'm gonna come at you. If you attack me, I'm gonna attack you. And the question is, no, Lord, what would the proper response be in your side? In your side. And so it's, it's learning to, to respond to God's character, not react to their action. And that's what Paul here is demonstrating. He's gonna go out and preach the gospel to a lot of people. They're gonna cause him a lot of pain. But before he met Jesus, how would he have responded to them? Counterpuncher, right? If you come to Paul, he's coming at you. You attack him, he's gonna attack you. If you threaten him, he's actually gonna show up and he's gonna arrest you or he's gonna maybe murder you. That's the guy that he was. As soon as he met Jesus, he realized I'm under authority now and I need to ask Jesus how I'm supposed to interact in this situation, not just react to the people in front of me. This is one of the hardest leadership lessons for any man to learn, because number one, we don't like to be disrespected. Number two, we don't like to be publicly shamed. Number two, three, we don't like to lose. And sometimes to be faithful to God, you're gonna need to endure some things that maybe weren't your first choice. Number three, another leadership lesson, uh, active, not just reactive. So what God is saying is here, when he is seeking people that haven't sought him and he's calling out the people who have not called out to him, God is not being reactive. God is not sitting in heaven saying, you make the first move. What God is saying is, I'm seeking you before you seek me. I'm speaking to you before you speak me. God is active in his leadership, not, uh, not passive in his leadership. And he's not waiting for us to initiate so that he could respond. He initiates so that we could respond. The apostle Paul's following this leadership example of God with his own ministry. He just told this earlier in Romans 10. He said, uh, you know, and how will people who don't know Jesus hear about him unless somebody preaches? And how will they preach unless God has sent them? And what he's saying is, um, we need to go tell, we get to go tell people, I should say, about Jesus, and we're not waiting for them to call and ask. How many of you, before you became a Christian, you weren't asking Christians to come talk to you? Okay, and if you did, you were weird. Okay, you were weird. Before I became a Christian, I didn't want Christians to talk to me, and I didn't want to hear their pitch. I remember they started in high school, the Christian kids are like, oh, you need Jesus. Like, actually, I'm fine, I don't. They're like, well, you're gonna go to hell. Well, I'm 16, it's gonna be a while. I don't sense urgency. Well, what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, but it's fun, so I, I, I'm fine with it. You know, and she's cute. She seems fine with it too. So who are you to judge? That's the only verse I knew, thou shalt not judge. That was the only verse I had. And I remember guys like, do you wanna go to church? Nope. You wanna pray? No, I don't, I don't. But they, they pursued me. Had they waited for me to invite them, I would have never invited them. But I appreciate the fact that they were willing to pursue me and to talk to me about Jesus. They were being active, not just reactive and passive, okay? And that's really what a, a leader is. A follower is technically someone who waits for the leader to decide the course forward, and then they fall in line. The leader is the one who says, no, we're going to act now. And we're not going to be passive. There, there will be action, there will be forward progress, a decision will be made, something will be done. And let me say to you men, this is one of the great leadership failures in men, okay? Many men, their wife will be like, hey, we're having a problem. You're like, well, hey, you didn't tell me, you didn't talk to me, but did you ask? If you're married, write that down, start asking questions. How many of you with your kids? You're like, well, they didn't say anything. Well, you need to be active, not passive. That the leader is the one who initiates. The leader is the one 
who begins. So like, I've had a couple of conversations with um, dads of adult children, even in the last week. And uh, the kids are in the teens or 20s and, and some of them are in a hard season. And uh, I said, dad, I said, dad, I was like, what are you doing? They're like, well, I'm praying for him. Okay, that's great. What are you doing? They said, well, I, I told them if they ever wanna meet, call me. No, that's passive. Okay, how many of you, when you were a teenager rebelling, you didn't call your dad? Okay, your dad needed to call you. So I, I, I told these dads, I said, well, for the season, the best thing you can do is just tell your kid, we're going to meet, even if they're grown and moved out in college or 20s or whatever, we're gonna meet every week. So you pick a time and a place and I'm gonna be there every week to meet with you. And we're, I'm gonna get involved in your life. I'm gonna talk to you and love you and pray with you and see what burdens I can lift. And you're gonna, you're gonna talk to me. And I need to know how you're doing because I wanna help you. And I'm your dad. One of the dads said, well, what if they don't show up? I said, then text them while you're there and say, I'm just gonna sit here and uh, pray for you. And I'll be here again next week. I'll be here every week and I'm waiting for you. So one of the guys I talked to, or actually a couple of guys I talked to, they've been doing this. Guess what their kids did? They showed up every week because dad initiated, he was active. He wasn't just saying, hey, if you ever need me, call. The truth is our kids need us. They just do, for example. And to put the burden on them of, you need to get in my way, it's no, 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 I'm gonna make myself available to you. And then uh, you're gonna be a priority to me. That's active. And, and this is simple things, guys, like uh, you're at home and your kids are all in their room and on their device. Sometimes it's, hey, can I come in? Yeah, hey, can you turn that off? Let's talk. Let me just go into your room. Let me go into your school. Let me go into your car. Let me go into your world. Let me just take initiative to come get to know you and the universe you live in. And the truth is, this is exactly what God did for us in Christ. He came down, he initiated, he got involved. He, he went to the earth, he, he got in people's lives, he entered into relationships, he entered into homes. He, Jesus Christ is very active, he's not very passive, and he's not sitting back waiting for us to invite him, he's actively pursuing us. And then he's inviting us to respond to his leadership. For many men, this is one of the great myths that happens for men as well, that one of the great myths is as your children get older, they need you less. How many of you have got a teenager and you testify? That's not true. Because when they're in their teen years, that's when they can really make some big mistakes. When they're in their 20s, they can make some really big mistakes. Like getting into debt or addiction or pregnancy or marriage. Those are the big decisions. And sometimes what happens is there's this cultural myth that when they turn 18, they're adults. Have you met an 18 year old? They're not an adult. And if you're here and you're 18 and you're offended, you just proved my point, okay? You're not mature enough to see your immaturity. That's where you're at. How many of you guys remember being 18 and you were not fully cooked? Not fully cooked. Yeah, yeah, not fully cooked. And so one of the big myths in our culture is when you turn 18, you're an adult and you get to make all your own decisions. No, you still need leadership. You still need your dad. And if your dad has a passive, if, if his, his dads, we have a passive posture. And the reason I'm passionate about this is, I mean, on, on average weekend, guys, we got 500 little kids pretty much like 10 and under on campus, it's 500 little kids. You know what they all need? Leadership, okay? And the, the teachers told me to tell you that. So they, they really need leadership. And as they get older, we think, well, when they're 18, they just sort of go on their own. And if they need anything, they'll call us. No, 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 active in your life. I, when my daughter was in uh, college, she's now married. She, very godly girl, I love her with all my heart, but just kind of the typical, 
you know, growing into your own faith, figuring out your own rhythm, going to school, just, you know, life stuff. She was doing good, but she was, she was carrying some burdens and some anxiety. And I just said, honey, I'm gonna have breakfast with you every single week. You pick the spot, the time and the place. And I said, I will, I will rearrange my whole schedule and you and breakfast will be my priority for a year, for a year. And I would get in my truck and it, it was a bit of a drive and uh, down by ASU and park and get out and sit there. And, but I tell you what, it was such a gift to sit there with my girl and to build that relationship. And every time I would come and I would just ask her, okay, so what can I pray for you about? She'd give me stuff. I'd say, what could I help you with? She'd tell me, I said, what burdens can your dad lift? Uh, I said, what money can your dad spend? That was always the fun one. She's like, oh. So you always throw that in. Even if they're like, I'm not gonna meet. They're like, I'll bring a debit card. Like, we'll, we'll get this done. And so my whole goal meeting with her was just, I, I'm not waiting for you to call. I, I am initiating and, I, and I'm, going to be, um, I'm going to be in your life and I wanna be in your life in such a way that when I show up, you're glad to see me because I'm there to help, okay? And let me say, this is the difference between men who are passive and men who are active. And the passivity of men, where did it start, gentlemen? All the way back to Adam. It's a, it's a default in a fallen man. Satan shows up, what does Adam do? Nothing. What does he say? Nothing. Most men, our sins are sins of omission. It's not that we did something wrong, it's that we didn't do anything, okay? That's usually the problem. And so for Adam, you know, Satan shows up, has a conversation with his wife, and he, he's just, he's like, hey honey, if you need me, just call text, you know, pray about being involved. And he's like, no, you're, you're supposed to be active, not passive. You're supposed to lovingly involve yourself. So that's why in Genesis, when God shows up, though Eve sinned first, God called out for Adam first, because he was supposed to be the leader taking initiative. And he called out to Adam, where are you? The question was, you're not where you're supposed to be. You were supposed to be active, now you're passive, you're supposed to be leading, and now you're following, you're following Satan. Okay. So, in this, I just would ask you in those, and I, I can see the wheel spinning for some of you, your wife, your kids, your grandkids, who are the people that you, you know they need leadership and they need help, but because they're of a certain age or a certain temperament, you just sort of let it go. And you're like, if you need me call, and you're, you're concerned about them, you're worried for them, you're, you're unsure how they're doing, be active, not passive. Get involved in a loving, healthy, burden lifting way. Uh, and, and when you do, let me just say this, don't expect to go zero to 60 if the relationship has not been building of trust over time. How many of you, your dad never said anything and then he sat down, he's like, let me tell you what to do. You're like, nah. You earn trust through love and relationship and consistency. And then over time, their ears open and they're willing to receive more instruction from you, but you can't just empty the whole truckload at once. It's gonna need to be a shovel at a time, okay? Next one. Um, be responsible even when not at fault, okay? So when God says, uh, I have found people that weren't seeking me and I've spoken to people who weren't asking for me, what he's talking about is for all believers, we have sinned, rebelled against God, we failed. He said, we're contrary and disobedient. 
And then God decides that he is going to take responsibility. This is the essence of Christian leadership, okay? So let me ask you a question. So we'll use me as an example. So all of my sin, is it Jesus' fault? Is any of my sin Jesus' fault? No. No. Did Jesus make all of my sin his responsibility? Yes. This is the key to Christian leadership. Because a lot of times people will say, it's not my fault. Well, it doesn't matter. Is it your responsibility? True or false? We have, a, we have an entire problem in government right now. Because nobody's responsible for anything and everybody's at fault. It's their fault. Everybody's a victim, nobody's a leader. Lots of excuses, no plans. We've just had a whole year where it's like, well, what are we gonna do? You know, what is the plan? Oh, there isn't one. There, there's a lot of fault finding, but there's not a, a lot of responsibility taking. The key that makes Jesus the most, and he is our Lord God, Savior, King in Christ. So I don't wanna turn him just into a leader, but what makes him an incredible leader is he takes responsibility for things that are not his fault. Why does he do that? He loves us. Let me just tell you this, man. Loving leadership is about taking responsibility, even if it's not your fault. Now you can't do this for everybody. You can't just look at the earth and say, I'll take, you know, I'll make it my responsibility. But let's say for example, you have a rebellious prodigal wayward kid, okay? Is it possible that some of that is your fault? Yeah, if you're the heavy handed legalistic religious dad, right? So for parenting, parenting is a, it's a continuum between rules and relationship. The default that some dads do, they really dial up the rules and not the relationship. Rules without relationship leads to rebellion, okay? So a lot of guys are like, I, I dropped a lot of rules on them. Well, all, all they're gonna do is break all the rules. You've just increased their sin. That's where, that's where he told us earlier in Romans, where there's a lot of law, but there's not the Holy Spirit, there's just more transgression and rebellion. That's why some of the worst kids come from the most religious homes. I always say this, Marilyn Manson went to Christian school. There's my illustration, okay? They gave him a lot of rules and he, he rebelled. And so what we're talking about here is love and loving leadership doesn't just assign fault, but takes responsibility. It's saying, first of all, if there is, let's say in a parenting relationship, let's say it's with your kids, Kids are on my heart tonight and you guys are dads. Let me say there's some incredible dads in the room. Uh, my office is in the back and I look down over the backyard with all the fun and the bouncy houses. We're getting ready to open up swimsuit summer. Not for you, for your kids. Um, <laughs> if you show up in a Speedo, we're gonna send you home. Um, but what I see in the backyard is super encouraging to me because I see kids everywhere having fun and I see engaged, active, present dads. That's amazing. There's a lot of places you go, you see kids and moms. I love going to church and seeing kids and dads. I love seeing that. It's a great thing to see. But by taking responsibility, there are times as a, let's say even as a dad, that there are times with our kids or our wife where we have to say, okay, part of this is my fault. Part of this is your fault. You're responsible, but I'm, I'm responsible as a leader too, okay? Um, just had a conversation in my office with my oldest daughter and, um, She's great and loves the Lord and she runs real faith for me. Uh, but I had to apologize and own some things in her upbringing. I was like, honey, I was working a lot. I wasn't physically healthy in that season. I was not emotionally present. I did love you, but I could see why you didn't come to me because I wasn't in a good place and you didn't get a great version of me. And that was my fault. 
So, I, uh, so there are times that we have to just say, that was my fault. So at least a portion of what you're dealing with is my fault. There are times, however, when it's not your fault or, or predominantly it's not your fault, but if it's your wife, it's your kid, your grandkid, if it's your company, whose responsibility is it? It's yours. That's what it means to love your wife like Christ loved the church. It says, it goes on to say that he gave himself up for her. What that means is he took responsibility for that which was not his fault. That's what the whole point of the cross is. It's not Jesus' fault, but he made it his responsibility because he loves me, because he loves me. So I'm asking you men, who does the Holy Spirit put on your heart to say, okay, there are some things that are my fault or there are people that I love and I, I need to be active, not passive. And I can't just sit back and say, well, it's not my fault. So it, it, is, my, it is my responsibility, okay? Next one, um, lifting burdens, not giving burdens. Um, what I love about this line is again, God said they had a burden and I came and lifted it, right? They weren't seeking me, but I was seeking them. They weren't calling for me, but I was calling for them. And then the apostle Paul, who's following in the example of God. So don't overlook the obvious. God is the leader. Paul is following God's leadership. And then Paul is a leader. All a leader is, is someone who has followers and they are following God. That's the Christian definition of a leader. God is leading, I am following him and people are following me. That's a Christian leader, okay? Um, that's where Paul says elsewhere, he's like, follow me as I follow Christ. That's what he's saying, he's like, I'm following Jesus, you follow me, that's leadership. And so what he's talking about here in this is being a burden lifter, not a burden giver. Before Paul was saved, was he a burden lifter or a burden giver? If Paul showed up at your house, was it to help? <laughs> he was a like, he was a world-class burden giver. All right, we're gonna beat them, we're gonna arrest them, we're gonna kill that one, we're gonna harass that one, we're gonna drive that one from their home. He was a, if he showed up, your day just got worse. And then he meets Jesus. And what does Jesus do for him? Lifts his burdens of sin. And then ultimately he sends Paul. And Paul was the guy who previously, if he showed up at your house, it was the worst day of your life. And then if he shows up, it might be the best day of your life. Cause he's there to bring the grace of God, which lifts burdens. Okay, L let me ask you this. How many of you have a lot of burden givers in your life, right? As men, we tend to have a lot of burden givers. If you run a company, you got a lot of burden givers. You got kids, grandkids, a lot of burden givers. Extended family, a lot of burden givers. How many of you don't have a lot of burden lifters? Right? As men, we don't, okay? Part of leadership if you love someone, especially if it's in a you know, spouse, kids, again, you can't have this kind of investment to the universe. You know, there's only a certain number of people that you have time and energy to have this kind of leadership with. But how many of you, your whole life would have been different if your dad just regularly asked this question, what burdens can I help lift for you? Would that have changed your whole life? Actually, dad, I'm, I'm struggling to pay for college. If you could help, that would be great. Okay, let me help with that. Uh, dad, I, I wanna get married, but I don't know what I'm doing. Could, could you help me figure this out? Yeah. Hey, dad, I wanna buy a house. I never bought a house. And uh, I don't know what I'm doing. Could you, could you help me figure this out? Yeah, let me, let me help you lift that burden. Uh, hey, dad, I got a kid now. What do you do with them? 
Like, like, I don't know what to do. You know, uh, could, could you help me figure this out? Or, hey, dad, uh, my wife wants to go on a date. Could, could we hand you the kid? And they could throw up on you for a while, and then we'll come back, okay? Maybe, you know. So one of the ways that a man, some of you are wondering, okay, the Bible says I'm the head. The Bible says I'm the leader. How do I lead? One of the easiest ways to lead is just ask this question. What burdens can I help lift for you? That's immediately how you become the leader. Because if they tell you they're inviting you in, you've opened the door, they're inviting you in. And as they're inviting you in, now you have influence, which is leadership. And the whole goal is to lift burdens. How many of you, don't raise your hand, especially if you came with your dad, but your dad just seemed to take delight in just burdening you. He just made everything harder. He just, he made it harder. You know, my question is, what? I mean, life is hard enough. I don't know if you guys have been on the planet for a while. It's a rough place to be most days. Each day's got its own trouble. I was talking to a dad recently and their kid just got saved and they're in college and they're like, yeah, I'm gonna sell them the car. I'm like, why don't you give them the car? Well, you need to earn it. Why? That's in first and second nonsense. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say they had to buy the car. You know? They're coming home for the summer. I talked to Dad recently, a college kid, and he's like, oh, I'm gonna charge them rent. I was like, why? I mean, aren't you, aren't you glad that you have a kid, or one, and that you get more time with them? And I said, if you want to charge them rent, feel free to charge them rent, and then put it all in the account, and then at the end of the summer, give it to them. If you want to teach them responsibility, make them pay, and if you want to teach them grace, give it back. Okay, lift some burdens, dad, help. And this is not enabling. Now, some dads take this too far and they enable. They're like, well, my, my kids don't have to worry about anything. Well, then they're gonna grow up and be drug addicts and criminals, okay? They need to have some responsibility. But we're not talking about is removing all responsibility, but we're dad coaching them up and help to lift some burdens and carry some responsibilities, okay? Um, and if you will do this, here's the key, you will become the leader. And then also when they, have a problem or a need, who are they gonna call? You. Uh, this was one of the great, I've done a lot wrong in parenting. I'll use one positive illustration. Uh, but one of my kids, um, they had a friend recently who had some trouble. And they're like, the kid came to my kid and said, you know, here's what I got going on. I won't get into the details. And they're like, what do we do? And they're like, I don't know, let's call my dad. My dad, they literally said, my dad lifts burdens. He'll know what to do. Hey, praise God, right? Like if my kid thinks I'm a burden lifter, I mean, don't bring me all your friends, but I'll take a few, <laughs> you know? And I wanna help, okay? Because that, that's why we're there. We're there to help lift the burdens. And that's what the leader does. Finding where God is working and joining him there. This is another element and aspect of leadership. And what uh, God says is, I was, again, uh, I was found by people who didn't seek me and I, and I called out to people who weren't calling for me. And so what he's talking about is that God had previously been working largely among the Jewish people in Israel. And then God shifted a lot of his work from the Jewish people to all the Gentiles, okay? This includes the apostle Paul, who is the apostle to the Gentiles. Part of the reason for him writing Romans, he says at the end, we'll get there as we continue in the book, that he is visiting the church in Rome where he has never been. He's asking them for financial and prayer support so that he can then go to Spain and start doing new ministry there because God has opened an opportunity. That was at least his heart, 
okay? And so what Paul is saying is, God is working in places and I wanna find where God is working and I wanna go where God is working. This is part of leadership. Part of leadership is figuring out where God is leading and then following his leadership. That's, there's an old uh, Baptist pastor named Henry Blackaby and he has this principle in this, uh, a good curriculum. Uh, and he basically says, find where God is working and join him in that work. If God's doing something, go there, okay? If he's leading, follow and jump in, okay? And so what I would ask you is, if God's working in the life of your kid, go get involved there. If your wife wants to go to church or pray or walk with Jesus, God's working there, go get involved there. If somebody at your work is open to Bible study or prayer or Jesus or going to church, if God is working there, go work there. Find where God is working and join him in that work. Okay, and let me just um, say this, God is working at the Trinity Church, just is, okay? That's why many of you are here, you're like, God's doing something, I wanna be a part of it. Sometimes a good leader isn't one who's leading, they're just really good at following God's leadership. They find where he's working and they join him in it, okay? And then the last one, uh, persevering despite the results, if that's God's will. So he already told us, God told us here in, Romans 10, 21, he says, I've held out my hand all day long to a contrary and disobedient people. What that means is God is not getting incredible results. So we would look at that and we would think that maybe God was failing. Is God failing? No, no. Or we would think that maybe God is wasting his time and energy. Is he? No, he was not. And so I'm glad that God's kept his hand open until I got saved. I'm glad he waited around that long. The point is this, sometimes to follow God's leadership and to work where God is working means you will not see the incredible results that you're hoping for. And as men then, we have to reposition success from results to faithfulness. Because you can have great results and not be faithful to what God is asking you to do. You could be very faithful what God is asking you to do and not have the kind of results you want. The thing that comes to mind, there's a man named Isaiah. And again, here Paul is quoting Isaiah 65.1. The author of Isaiah says earlier in the book, it is calling uh, in Isaiah six, Jesus shows up to him and he sees the Lord high and exalted and seated on a throne and train of his robe filled the temple. It's one of these majestic views into the unseen realm. I think it was uh, John 12.41 says that Isaiah saw Jesus and spoke of his glory. So he saw Jesus in heaven before he came to earth. And he has a ministry. God said, I'm calling you. You're gonna be a, you're gonna be a prophet. You're gonna be a spokesman. I got an assignment for you. His first question is, how long? The answer is, rest of your life. Then his next question is, how successful? Answer, not very. Not very. So I'm not gonna be Billy Graham? No, you're gonna be Billy Nobody. That's who you're gonna be. <laughs> but God, I saw Jesus and uh, you know, the angel brought a coal and touched my lip and I'm a prophet and I'm writing a book of the Bible and, and you're gonna keep your hand open and you're not gonna get the kind of results that you're hoping for, okay? And, and what this means is a man that our primary goal needs to be finding God's will and being faithful to God's will, not just choosing to pursue that which is going to bring what we would consider the most successful results. Some of you guys have got a wife, you love her, it's a lot of work, okay? Some of you guys got a kid or two and you're like, it's a, yeah, 
I put a lot in and I, I'm not getting that return on investment that I was hoping for, you know? Um, but the question is, are you being faithful to what God has called you to? Um, my father-in-law pastored a very small church his entire life. And he did what God asked him to do. And he was a good man. We, we appreciate him, Grandpa Gibb. We named this church after him in honor of him. He never had a revival. He never, it was, he had a small flock of people that God told him to love. And he did so for more than 40 years. He kept his hand open. He kept his heart open. And I'm sure when Grandpa Gibbs stood before the Lord, he heard, well, good, well done, good and faithful servant. And when Billy Graham rolled in behind him, you know, it was like, well done, good and faithful servant, because that was your calling and that was your calling. And so Paul has this statement to a young leader, because I think a lot of times young men really struggle with this. He says, uh, fulfill your ministry. Okay, what he doesn't say is fulfill your potential. <laughs> fulfill your ministry. And sometimes if you chase your potential, you can't be faithful to your ministry. And sometimes if you're faithful to your ministry, you're not gonna achieve what you would have considered full potential. But in the sight of God, God's like, I stood there for a long time with my hand open and I was waiting and you weren't responding and I wasn't getting the results, but I waited for you. And sometimes God's saying, I need you to just stand there, love that person, pray for them, keep your heart open, keep your hand open, wait for them, especially if this is your wife, your kid, your grandkid. It's keeping an open hand and an open heart. And you may not get the results, but let me say this. As men who know the Lord Jesus, we have to redefine what we mean by success. And that's not successful results. It's, it's successful faithfulness to the calling and ministry that God has appointed us to, okay? That being said, we've got some questions we'll have for you around tables. And if you're new, uh, we do something crazy here. Men talk. It's nuts. Uh, you're gonna see it in a moment. It's the craziest thing. Uh, men usually don't talk. Men here talk. Which of the seven leadership lessons, we'll throw it back up on the screen, are you strongest at? And not to be braggadocious, but to coach one another around the table, you're like, you know, this one, I, God's actually taught me. Okay, great. Encourage the other guys. Help them, because that may not be where they're strong. Number two, which of the seven leadership lessons are you weakest at? You're like, that one, I got a lot of work to do. Okay, okay, that's great. We're here to coach one another, we're here to encourage one another, we're here to help one another, okay? And then lastly, how do we pray for you? And the way we like to do it at the end, if, uh, if you'd allow us to pray for you and you're new, we would love that, it'd be a great honor of ours. A lot of the guys huddle up like a football team and they just pray together. And for a lot of men, it's the first time that they've ever prayed out loud. For many men, it's the first time they've ever been prayed for publicly. And for the first time in many men's lives, they've actually prayed in a group. And the whole goal, let me just be very overt with this. My hope, prayer, and goal, and the reason that we borrowed this model from Pastor Darian, and I wanna thank him and honor him publicly for this model, is, um, you know, we want this to happen at your dinner table. We want you to sit down with your wife and say, or your kids or whomever God, you know, blesses you with and say, okay, I'm gonna pray and, hey, I'm gonna ask some questions and we're gonna talk and we're gonna talk about the Lord and talk about our day. And then we're gonna ask if there's anything we could pray for and we're gonna pray together. Imagine the generational difference if what we are doing here happens in all your homes with all your wives and all your kids. And imagine if then they, they believe that is normative. And then when they grow up and have families, they're doing the exact same thing. We're not talking about hundreds and thousands and maybe tens of thousands of people with your last name 
that someday could be sitting around a dinner table. It's like, why do we sit around and why do we talk to each other and why do we pray for each other? Well, because so-and-so used to do that at men's and then they started doing it at home and we've just been doing that ever since. It's the simple things over time with consistency that tend to produce the most fruit. And I love you and it's an honor to have you. And I thank you for the honor to teach. So thank you men for that grace. I appreciate it a lot.